What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 113 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we are created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, each and every episode, our desire is to introduce you to great leaders, great leaders, not only in the world's eyes, which they all are, but great leaders in the Lord's eyes. And what makes a great leader in the Lord's eyes? There are people that lead with their faith out in front and who are living for something bigger than them. So now we're in episode 113. It is hard to believe we've been going this long. And boy, i just be honest with you. It just feels like the guests keep getting better and better and better. And I learn something each and every time. So if you've been forwarded this by a friend or somebody just told you about it because you knew this current guest, this is a great opportunity to push pause and go to subscribe Subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever you listen to this podcast from and be a part of our audience. Secondly, while you're there, if this podcast adds value to you, man, what a great thing to leave a review because it does help other people find their way to us and it helps me know as as the host how these are hitting home with you and I sure hope they are. Well, we sit here in July of 2021, coming off a crazy year of 2020, and now we uh, got to celebrate July 4th. Good night. I didn't know how much I'd miss fireworks after missing them for a year, but I got to be with family and friends. But when that ended, I began to look towards the fall and all the things that I, I want to do differently and I want to do better and in ways I need to get better as a leader. And one of the ways we get better as a leader is exposing ourselves to other great leaders. Today, I get to introduce you to one of those great leaders. For years, he served as a for years he served as a mentor to me. He didn't know me, but I sure knew him. I followed him as a pastor, where he led the great Cascade Hills Church in Columbus, Georgia, from thirty-two people to over ten thousand people. He passed on the baton a few years ago to his son Brent, and just. It was a flawless pass. He now leads BP leadership. Bill has been growing leaders for over 36 years. And now BP leadership provides materials, uh, monthly things that come out for personal growth for people all over the world. And he has his own podcast now, the BP Leadership Podcast. He's written three incredible books. He is an incredible man, a great leader of leaders. But even more than that, he loves his family, and he's done this journey so well. A few years ago, Bill and I finally got connected, and it was so good to be able to tell him what he's meant to me all these years. And since he's come and poured into my staff at North Star, and I've been able to go down and speak to his staff, you are in for a treat Today, you're going to be a better leader at the end of this conversation. So today, I want you to pull out your notepad, your iPad, your Remarkable, your phone, something to take notes in because this is a rich conversation. So pull up a chair and I want you to buckle in for my conversation with Bill Purvis. Well, Dr. Bill, it is an honor to have you as a guest on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Mike. I have I've appreciated and respected what you've got going on here, the impact you're making. And uh, I was just thinking you were calling me as a friend and didn't realize you were going to invite me to be one of your guests. So I'm honored. Well, you are you are one of those people 
that makes everybody around you better. And so for that, thank you. Thank you for how you leave things, people included, better than you found them. Thank you for doing that. I hope so. We'll know yet. The score's not out yet. We haven't finished the broadcast. <laughs> well, we're, we're off to a good start. That'd be my goal. That's so right. I know you grew up and you follow Alabama. When you yeah. were growing up, yeah. what did you dream that you would be doing when you were a grown-up? What were your <laughs> thoughts and aspirations as a little boy growing up? Honestly, Mike, I'm one of those guys that's going to give hope to anybody there because I had no goal, no plan. Biggest word for me at that time was probably aimless. I was mm. just aimless. Uh, a lot of it was that I came from a family that had no faith background, no religious background at all. Wasn't raised in church or anything like that. And then I also had, which was another side note, it's almost a podcast on its own, but didn't have a great relationship with a father. Had a biological father that that didn't really want a boy. He had a, what they call an alpha male syndrome, didn't mind girls, but didn't want to be around other boys. He wanted to be the king. And we never had a good relationship. I loved him. He's a hardworking, successful businessman. But as far as a son, uh, you know, I asked him before he died. I said, the only thing I ever wanted out of you is for you to say you love me. His last words to me before he died was, I would never say that to you. So I was I was raised that way. And uh, as a result of that, man, I, you know, I just didn't have any plans. I didn't know where I was going. Until I met God, I had no real plan, direction, or anything. And, and through that is where I suddenly began to see a plan, a purpose, and a relationship with the Father. So uh, it, it all worked out for the best. You but know, I, and I know the date, April the 28th, 1974, was a transformative date in a lot of ways in your life. You mind unpacking that story a little bit for everybody? Yeah, I'll give you a, 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 you know, in a nutshell, the, the Reader's Digest version of it. But, uh, but yeah, you know, like I said, I was raised without a, without a faith. And so I, I played sports and, uh, and, and, you know, was a good student, did all the things I should have done. But on the inside, I was empty. I was looking for a way, I think, maybe to get a father's validation. So whatever I wanted to do or find that fills my soul or gives me another, uh, you know, adrenaline kick, I was willing to try it. So I started trying a lot of stuff I shouldn't have done. But uh, about two weeks before that April 28th date, before I gave my life to God, a guy came to my door, and what was crazy was, Mike, he had gone to a church, and they said, if you know of anybody that doesn't know God, that you know doesn't know God, and the guy told these students, you go and tell them about God. Mm. This young student who didn't have a, a plan, he didn't have a Romans road, he didn't have it all marked out, but he got a burden on his heart for me. He came to my door, and he knocked on the door, and I opened the door, and he witnessed to me. Now, the way he witnessed is different than the way you know, most people are trained to witness. He was just trying to get it off his chest. He looked at me, and I'll never forget, he was shaking and trembling and scared. I think, I think he felt, as soon as I get this over, I've gone, he said, Bill? And I said, yeah, and he stuttered. And he said, uh, er, er, everything you're looking for can be found in Jesus. And then he went, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, worst witnessing program I ever saw. I... I heard him. He went away. I, I, I shut the door and walked in, and a friend said, what do you want? I said, I have no idea. I said, he, he said the strangest thing. But the crazy thing, those words, mm. everything you're looking for can be found in Jesus, sunk in my soul. And it became like a song that you listen to on the radio that you can't get out of your head. Two weeks. By, by the end of two weeks, Mike, I'm mad at the guy. And I'm wow. thinking, you put those thoughts in my head. I, every time I turn around, I keep hearing that word. And uh, I know now I needed it. Two weeks after he'd shared that with me, and I've been thinking about that over and over, I, I happened to be, and this crazy, but uh, trying to fill the emptiness of my soul, I and another friend picked up a prostitute. And I'm, I'm 17 years of age, two weeks from being 18. And we pick up a prostitute, and we go to a place where she and her pimp want us to go, and and we go there, and I don't, I'm just stupid and gullible and trying some new experience. And it winds up that it ends up uh, and that I get stabbed. The, the, the pimp has, they've set it up to murder me. I don't know this, but they're, they're trying to find somebody they thought had some money and was gullible, and, and we're going to kill him. He'd been in prison before. And he comes out with a nine-and-a-half-inch butcher knife in that room where we're at, and he stabbed me three times. The first time he stabbed me was in the chest. 
It went an eighth of an inch below my heart and came out my back. Mm. The handle of the knife stopped when it hit my chest. The second time he stabbed me, pulled it out, and I realized I'd been stabbed. And then he's swinging it again. It's coming to my eye. I back up, and it goes in my throat. It went in in one side, and it came out the other. Oh. It cut my jugular vein completely in half. Craziest thing is, you know, you're supposed to die in about four minutes from that. And the longest I think somebody's lived is 22 minutes. But, um, but I'm one of the few people in the world that's lived with that kind of an injury. I fought with him, knocked him down, tried to jump over, and he stabbed me the third time in the liver. So in a matter of seconds, I've been stabbed in three vital places. I hit the door and knocked the door down, getting out, and I scramble out and hit the hood of the car and scream at my friend, get out of here. I run about 20 more yards out into a parking lot, 2 a.m. in the morning, and I fall against a light pole. And when I fall against that pole, my blood is coming out of my throat and, and I'm swallowing blood to be able to breathe and, and I know I'm dying. And all of a sudden, I promise you, Mike, as clear as I hear your voice now, I heard those same words of that guy two weeks earlier. Mm. Everything you're looking for can be found in Jesus. So I, I know I'm lost. I know I'm going to hell. I know, I know there's no hope for me. I mean, I'm a sinner. I mean, I'm a boy never been to church. I never prayed a prayer. I never read a Bible. I never shook a preacher's hand. I, I never went to vacation Bible school, and I'm with a prostitute, and, and here I am. I'm, I'm going to hell. But I remember praying, and, and what I prayed was this. I just prayed. I said, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. I, I want you to save me. Jesus, come into my life. Now, I really did a deathbed repentance. Mm. A friend backed the car up, rushed me to the hospital. Unfortunately, the hospital at Trauma Center was only one half block away. Wow. And I was there in no time. Another miracle was there was one of the best-known cardiovascular surgeons that had just walked in that hospital at that time of the morning, and he wasn't supposed to be on duty. His wife was out of town. He couldn't sleep. Mm. He said, I just felt that I should go up to the hospital, see if there's any need. They said, when he came in one door, I was coming in the other. So it was a perfect timing. They did a surgery. I remember he put his finger on my throat as soon as they rushed him in and um, put his finger on my throat. The words he said was, get the district attorney up here. This young man's been stabbed to death. He's not dead yet, but he'll be dead before he gets here. His jugular vein is completely severed. So I'm hearing those words before they start surgery. You know? um, I went through 11 and a half hours of surgery, woke up the next morning. I'm in a hospital room, nurses everywhere, police outside the door, and I realized it's true and it's happened. So now, now I begin to, I realize God has spared my life and done a miracle. I got to be honest with you, Mike. I, the biggest fear I had after that was I had prayed and asked God in my life. So now I'm laying in the hospital bed thinking, God, I can't believe you showed me this kind of mercy. Mm. But I also said, Lord, uh, you don't know. I'm not one of those religious kids, and I don't know how to be good. And God, I will never pray again. I'll never ask you for another favor. Thank you for what you did. But you know, I won't bother you anymore because I thought God just loved the good people. And, um, and I felt the Lord was, you know, was laughing at me like, yeah, you don't know the risk. <laughs> 30 days in the, in the intensive care and, and convalescent wing and then I get out of the hospital. And I'm totally changed. I can't, I read a Gideon Bible, man. I can't get enough of it. I'm loving the Bible. I want to go to church. Nobody told me, but I started going around to all my friends that I'd ever wronged and asked them to forgive me. And, and I just started wanting to to know God more. And so that was the start of it. It's all in that book that we mentioned to yep. you know that they came out with called Make a Break for it. And it tells more of the details, but but and you, you know it's at Amazon and all the bookstores. But but the truth is the whole story's in there. But that's really what happened. It radically changed my life. And then later of course God called me to ministry and and went to a little church with 32 people and and that thing grew and blew up. And the last five Easter's we've had over 10,000 people baptized somebody seven days a week for the last five years, every single day of the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day. All of that happened out of a boy who was aimless and didn't have nothing, didn't have a clue. Uh, God gets all the credit for it. It's really his story, not mine. But uh, but that's kind of in a nutshell what it is, Mike. It's a, the benefit of that is I met God as a father. I met great family like you and friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. So I finally was put where God wanted me to be all along. And maybe that's a word to anybody else that wonders, is there any hope for them? Or can, can God do any kind of miracle for their children or whatever? I'm proof he can. So. You know, it's funny. I was, I was reading, and, and I know you got your GED, finished 11th grade, ended up with GED. And then, yeah. you got, then you've gotten up to it. You've gotten your doctorate. 
Yeah. So how does finding Jesus change that much of a person? It, well, for me, it created such a hunger to grow. Mm-hmm. And what had happened was I, my father had up and moved in the 11th grade. He just got, I was in 11th grade. He just came in one day and sold all his businesses and said, we're moving. I didn't know where to go. And so I, we, we left. I didn't have time to say bye to my friends or nothing. We went to Columbus. And so I was raised in Eufaula, Alabama, only one high school. And in Columbus, they had eight. So we get here. Now, my parents didn't care whether I went to school or not. So I just assumed, you know, they didn't even ask me or, or take me. So I said, I got to go find a school. So I drove to Baker High School, which was close by uh, in, in Columbus. I didn't know. I thought it only had one high school in the whole city, too. So I drive there thinking I should go to school there. And they tell me, wait out in the office, wait out in the hallway. We'll, we'll get you in a little while and get you enrolled. I spent the whole day out there. Nobody talked to me. Nobody helped me. I went back the next day. They said, oh, we're sorry if you wait out there. So I waited again. It's a busy school. And so by the end of the second day, I just got up and quit. I just said, okay, I can't get any help. I don't know where to go. I quit. My parents didn't even know I'd quit for three months. Wow. And then what happened was, it's crazy. I went on the stand and I got a job. On my way home from there, I saw a place and I pulled in and applied for a job and they gave it to me. So I was working. My boss was the one that recognized. He said, Bill, every time we bring you in the room, you're the common laborer. You're solving problems that our our co-workers and executives can't solve. And he said, Bill, we got to do something about your education. I said, what do I do? He said, let's go get your GED. So I went over to the local college and they said, we're taking a test tonight of all things, but then another six months, we recommend you wait six months and prepare. I said, no, let me do it now. I just want to act on it now. I took it and passed it. So I told my boss, okay, I did it. He said, now we got to get you in college. Wow. Really? He said, yeah. So he said, let's go. So he took me to college, same school he went to go. And he says, uh, they, they said, we'll take you on probation. Well, a lot of friends I had were on probation anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that sounds good with me. And of all things I did well. And then when God called me to preach, last thing I ever wanted, I, there was no pastors in my family. There were no believers. And, and I remember when I was praying one morning and, and I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. And that's a dangerous prayer. I said, Lord, anything you want me to do. And so God just kind of honed in. And, and, I, and I felt that he said, would you preach? And I said, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'm saying louder to drown him out. And I think if I talk louder, he'll go away. <laughs> Didn't work. Finally, I said, yes. And when I said yes, there was a peace. And I thought, oh, God just wanted to know if I was willing. He wasn't going to call me. Yeah. I thought, well, I pulled one over on him. I'm good. I promise you again, one hour later, the pastor of this church I'm attending, and I've never even spoken to him, drives up, and he comes up to our door. My own mother at the time was alive, and she happened to be there. She said, there's your pastor. She said, I wonder what he wants. And I said, he wants me to preach. She said, yeah, right. I said, no, I bet he does, because I settled it an hour ago. He walks in the door, and here's what he says. He said, Bill, my brother just got in an accident in Birmingham. I've got to go there. He said, I, uh, I just felt led to ask you to come share your story, how you found God this Sunday. And so I was scared to death, but I had to do it. I got up, but I mean, I stammered. It was about an 11-minute sermon. It was so bad I did this. When my invitation was like this. You know, Billy Graham does that thing of the buses will wait, and you can come. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, my invitation was this, Mike. If you want what I got, come get it. That's <laughs> 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 it and you know what's crazy? People started coming. I, I had a guy it. with the Rangers out at Fort Benning, little hardcore military. First thing, he's running down the aisle crying and weeping. I'm looking around like an outer body experience, like, what is going on around here? That's what I knew I was called. And then that's after that, when, when uh, a friend, I told him, you know, I know I must be called. He said, then you need to go to seminary. I said, what's that? He said, well, seminary is like, you know, med school for a doctor or law school for a lawyer. You need to go to seminary so you know what you're talking about. So I said, will you help me there? He said, yeah. And then of all things, Ike Reichard, my and your friend and mentor, was the guy that helped to open the door for me to go to seminary. So I went there and got two masters and a doctorate. But I I wouldn't have done that had it not been for Ike and had it not been for friends that said that. So fortunately, I had something I could study on, on the weekdays and preach on the weekend. And, and uh, 
So it, it worked out well. But you know what I love about that story, and and I was I was telling you I was just with Ike this morning. I had him on the podcast last year. I yeah. think so many times guys, young, young guys go, well, to get where they've gotten in leadership, everything's always gone their way. They had the silver spoon and academics came easy to them. Yeah. And you and I both had that probationary period yeah. in college, but yet you stuck it out oh, and yeah. you kept going. I want, I want to ask you this question. Looking back now in the rearview mirror, uh-huh. how many times did you think, this can't be me. This can't go my way. Why did that go through your mind a lot during those years? Oh, I always felt like God had me mixed up with somebody else. <laughs> like, like there's an angel one day that, that <sighs> somebody's going to say to God, you never gave me this. You never answered this prayer. And, and, and the angel is going to say, Oh, you meant, uh, you, you meant Billy Graham to give those two. I gave him to Billy Purvis. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting somebody else's blessings. <laughs> Much more than I deserve, and um, and and that you know that's just been the way it's been. The whole story. In fact, literally one time in in a class in seminary, they put us all together. They put in groups of ten. They said everybody get in groups of ten. The average minister, they said seven out of ten will be out of ministry within five years. So they said, now look around the table, see who you think will be those that drop out. All nine other people were looking at me. <laughs> like he's gonna drop out, he ain't gonna make it. Because <laughs> I didn't have, you know, that path or that right. background. But that's the thing. God can take anybody and use anyone who's willing. And mm. it's okay to be afraid. Good night. I've been afraid all my life of what's he calling me to next. But do it even if you're afraid, just trust him. He knows the plan and he's got one for you. You know, you think about even the young man who was stuttering that came to your door. He didn't do anything right, but come to your door. That's right. But yet his willing. So unpack that a little bit. Why is willingness such a component to being a leader and even for God to use you in a big way, no matter what profession you're in? I know today you were just speaking to coaches. Why is that willingness such a big component of that? I think God, God can, God can open the door and do the miracle all that. He's just got to have a tool that's Mm -hmm. willing. When we are unwilling or unteachable, those are the two most destructive patterns and lids you can put on someone's life. If you, you know, it's kind of like you can keep growing in your life or reaching goals and all that as long as you're willing to pay the price. You know, people used to ask me sometimes about even the church. They said, "Well, when does your church is always growing? When does it quit growing?" So the answer is easy: when the price to grow becomes too high, mm. and suddenly we decide that. That's too big of a mountain to, to go after. The sacrifice is too great. So we get to choose that. And I think the key is to say, Lord, it's, it's that prayer of not my will, but yours be done. You know, thy kingdom come means my kingdom go. So you've got to be willing to say, okay, I, I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to learn. I'm going to be willing. And if you're just willing, God may not call you immediately, but I believe if you are willing, there'll come a time that when he calls, you'll find it's the right place. You looking back at it, you'll say, I'm so glad I just did that one thing, just trusted. And that's it. You know, you, you take this young man that was probably voted most likely not to make it out of a seminary class. <laughs> yeah. And and he goes to a church, 32 people, they vote you in as pastor. Yeah. I think you had one child at the time. One correct? Child. Yeah, that's right. And here you are today on the back end of that. Yeah. As you look back on your ministry at Cascade Hills, what do you what do you think helped make it what it is today? What do you think were determiners in it? Because there's so many guys in business and they're they're building a team and, and many pastors that are listening in that are brand new at their church. What yeah. do you think are some of the lessons you've learned at Cascade Hills during all these years? that you think helped make up the church where you have over 10,000 on Easter and you baptize somebody every day of the year? What would you say? Yeah, I, well, for me, I, I, what it was was what you was talking about, learning and being willing and teachable. Uh, I had to learn a lot of things. You know, I, I learned that, first of all, as soon as they voted me in, I learned later pretty quickly that just because you got the title of the leader doesn't mean that you're the leader. Okay. I, I'd go into these board meetings and all these older guys would be saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And Pastor, would you... Would you pray? <laughs> so, 
Yeah, I prayed before the meeting, prayed after the meeting, but I didn't leave anything. They did. Yep. And and just because you got the title don't mean you're the leader. Mm. You become the leader when you start solving problems. And so when I started saying, there's some problems we can solve, and, and have you thought about this? That's when they started looking at him like, hey, maybe he can do more than just pray. Mm. And so that was the start. I think I think I also committed myself that I, I needed to be a lifelong learner. I was going to have to grow from now on. Uh, whether the best books or being around the best people, you and Ike and other people, that iron sharpens iron thing. I don't need to make all the mistakes and, and I don't That's want right. you to make them, but if you make them, I want to learn from them. That's right. But, uh, and then the other thing I learned, I think the biggest was one of the biggest, I learned that everybody wants to be loved. Uh, everybody wants to be loved. Everybody in this world has two things they battle with. The first is, will I be loved? And the other is, will I be enough? And they, and they battle with that. And, and I found that when I just reached out and loved people, it was easier for me because of my background to love, love people of all backgrounds. So I could easily say to somebody, come in this door and then I care about you. We had recently, I think about a year ago, a guy showed up at our church at an 11 o'clock service and he was drunk. I mean, he was just reeking of alcohol. I was so grateful to hear that about five other men in the church who had already been alcoholics but given their life to God came quickly to him, sat around him in church, loved on him. And next thing you know, he's being baptized, gave his life to God. He's changed. But instead of stopping him at the door, sending him home, yep. other people that have been on that road went over there and befriended him. And, um, and so because of my background of being where I was from, we became the church for the unchurched. Mm. And I said, I, I want to reach the who's who of sinners. I mean, I want to know in this city who it is that we know that doesn't know God. And, and, and as I love them, here's what I found, Mike. Your capacity to love will grow when you start using it. But when you start loving people, regardless of who they are, that capacity grows. And before you know it, you know, you've made all kind of a, a benefit and a, and a blessing in their life. I, you know, you learn a lot in ministry. You, you learn people skills because you deal with so many. You learn priorities because you got to figure out what's important. Um, but I, I learned this for the church to grow. It, just because I was growing, the church wasn't necessarily growing uh, a lot. The church grew exponentially when I was growing and they were growing. Mm. If they were growing with me, we made a big impact. If I was growing and they were not, I was frustrated. I found myself saying, come on, get with it. The, and, and if they were involved in trivial stuff or didn't see the big vision or values, when I could get them to grow as well by teaching them, by exposing them to growth material and leaders, when they began to grow and I was still growing, we grew together. And so it's important that you do it as a dance. You can't do it solo. And so those are some things. I also learned is I can't do it all, so I've got to quit people. You know, that's, that's one right. of the things you, you need to know. Um, I will say this too. I learned Prayer and Bible study has to be my daily fuel. Mm. If I don't take that in, you'll burn out down the road. So it's got to be my first priority. And the second priority has got to be my family. You know, you know this. Any other job in the world, you can get a divorce on Friday and go to work on Monday. Any job. You doctor, lawyer. You can be a marriage counselor for other people. Yep. And you can divorce your spouse on Friday and still go do your job on Monday. In ministry, you can't. And so... Family has to be a high priority. Uh, regular date nights with your spouse. Don't sacrifice your family on the altar of your job. And uh, and I just decided long ago, a little saying I have, I'm going to give the best I have to those that are going to cry the deepest at my funeral. The people that are going to cry and miss me the longest are the ones I need to invest in the most now. So those are, those are some of the things I learned. And, uh, you know, and I love that family piece, which is interesting because you didn't have that dad figure that modeled that for yeah. you, which for a lot of guys is an excuse. Well, I didn't get it. So why am I going to give it? I know now I know Brent, I don't know the rest of your children. I know yeah. how Brent feels about you. Yeah. How did you overcome that as a, as a man? Yeah. And that's a good question. You know, for a lot of both men, men don't talk about it if they don't have a good relationship with the father. Women do, but men just bury it. In fact, if you'll ever try this, I did this one year by accident. After my father died, I never spoke about him until after he died. And the reason is I was always hoping we could have that relationship. Yep. At the first Father's Day after he died, 
I stood up and I spoke on a message about fathers. Some were wonderful, some were absent, and, all that, and I opened up a little bit of that. I had over 500 direct messages that day, mainly from men. And then they tell me on Sermon Search that the sermon is one of the most top requested. Mm. We want to put it on there. And, and I learned how many men are saying, I've kind of buried that. I've tried to over-excel in athletics, academics, or success to get my father's acknowledgement. And so I touched a real nerve with that. And so that was the, you know, that, that was the, the big issue there. So I decided as a father, I'm going to break that cycle. Mm. And uh, my, my oldest son lives out in California, successful business guy, loving guy, wonderful uh, son. He, he played baseball for our friend Bobby Howard over at Columbus High. And in those days, we had church had Wednesday night services. I didn't do Wednesday night services. I got somebody else to teach. I would go watch him play ball. And I said to the church, you know, I'm, I'm going to be there. Wherever my kids are, I'll be your pastor. I'll take care of you. We'll make sure all the needs are met. But I'm also going to not neglect my family because mm. I wanted that. I didn't want them to grow up saying my dad was so busy that he repeated the same cycle his father had. So I wasn't going to do that. So that was the goal. It was intentional. You know, it's funny, and I, and I would I've never asked you about this, but I but I'm very uh-huh. curious. You know, everybody makes choices. Everybody makes choices on what what's worth what to them. Yeah. Bill Purvis in Columbus, Georgia, is known by everybody. I mean, literally, you don't go anywhere in Columbus and somebody not know Bill Purvis. But if you go to another state, they may not know who you are. Yeah. But that was a choice. Yeah, it was right. a choice. So when you were when when Cascade Hills is booming and you are getting recognized, right? Was it a was it a choice? You know what? I'm going to be home at night. I'm not going to hit the road. I'm not going to travel. I would rather. Be, I would love to hear you talk about that a little yeah. bit. Oh, Mike, and that would be good for some of your your uh, friends and peers, especially the younger group. I got a lot of opportunities to go at, and be on staff at or pastor some great places. Uh, I had a lot of opportunities to speak at some great places and people want to be come share your story and do this. And I would have to say, okay, if it takes away from my family time or from the church, I'm not going to do it. And I said no to, in fact, I had a secretary one time said you average 17 declines a week. It is seven. Most evangelists would love to have half of that. And, and I was turning them down left and right, but I call that it was a trade-off. Mm. I call it a trade-off that paid off. Um, there paid the trade-offs that I made in life that I look back and I'm glad I didn't. I do it again. Uh, I, why do I want to go somewhere where you know I may speak to a bunch of folks and encourage a bunch of folks that I don't really know, and I'll do my best if God opens that door and makes it to work. But if I've got to make the choice of leaving the people that I'm already committed to lead, whether it be the family, or the church. If I leave them and neglect them, then I'm unfaithful. God called mm. me here. Mm. God called me to this family, and, and I, I just said, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't. I know I'm not that important, and I and I know me too well, so I'm not impressed with me. So my ego don't need a lot of stroking. So I don't have to have all that. But, but what I do want to know is, I want to know that we did it right. To mm. so me, doing something right is more important than doing it fast. It's more important than doing it where it's recognized. Just do it right. And for me, it was better for me to give my time to that, say no to a lot of things. So you get you get a lot of no, you know, you, you get a lot of good opportunities, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're God opportunities. Mm. And and so you want to make sure that with the opportunities you take, that, that you play in the long game, you know, that you want to play it so that you can look back one day and say it made an impact. And and that's that was the way I did it. So don't say yes to everything. And 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 I'm so glad you did because I know just as me as an outsider looking in at you, it was one of the things I respected most about you because the easy, the easier thing in the moment is to be on the stage, on the poster, on the platform. That's right. But the harder thing is doing what you did. Any regrets now? I mean, as you look back at that in the rearview mirror, do you go, God, I wish I would have gone and done that. What what are you at now? (laughs) Sometimes you can get, you can get off track doing, if you, if you, if you got the ego, or if you got to have that for validation, you can get involved in politics. You know, there's politics in in Christian work. Yeah, well. that's right. And there are some people that spend more time mingling with everybody else in their own family, and they spend more time networking with everybody else instead of networking with the people that carry their own blood or the people they're mm-hmm. paid to, to, to minister to. And and so I always stayed away from the politics. 
I was never good in board meetings sometimes because I'd be on a board and if I just thought, I remember one time I got on a board, I was on there five minutes, my first board meeting, and I found out that that the president of the university had a pitiful salary. They wouldn't take care of him. So my first five minutes in the board, I voted to raise his salary. <laughs> so it was an hour-long discussion. And I'm saying, look, folks, you know, that man's bread and gas cost the same thing as ours. You know, let's pay the man. And he thanked me later. His wife sent me the nicest letter. She said, for 10 years, we never got a raise, and mm. nobody would bring it up. She said, you were in that meeting only five minutes. <laughs> so I, I was good about it. If you don't play the politics and you don't play the yeah. game, just be you. Yeah. Just just play, speak your mind, be loving and kind, but be honest and direct. And and I think people always know where you come from that way. Um, it's just, it's just the, for me, it works easier. I'm not smart enough to have 10 personalities. That's <laughs> <laughs> what I love about you, though. That's what I love about you. You know, the other thing I love about you is you work across all platforms. In fact, you probably out, probably outside John Maxwell spend as much time with business leaders as right. any pastor I know. You didn't, yeah. you didn't get in this, get in this wall where, you just hung out with other church guys. You spent more time really with guys that are out in the business world, in the coaching world, like Bobby Howard, legend. That's what right. have you learned about leadership from those business uh -oh. leaders and those athletic leaders that makes them great leaders? What would you say? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, you know something? They grow you. When you hang around mm. somebody that's a leader, you come away from this and I picked up something. I learned something. Uh, I learned it as I was growing you could have connections with people. You could be sitting at a table with somebody that's that's a good leader and has the skills and gifts. And when they find out you know a little bit about that or you can bring something to the table, then they invite you for a more intimate conversation or come by my business, I want to talk to you. And so I began an exchange. Mine was, I would ask good leaders about leadership questions. Mm. They, they, would, they would ask me about spiritual questions. Yeah. I have a great leader one time that he said, Bill, I need you in my life. He said, I oversee so many people and so much business. He said, I need you to keep me spiritually on track. He said, because I can get so bogged down in this, I'll never think about spiritual stuff until Sunday. And so I said, okay, let's make a time to meet. He said, what do you need me for? Because we all know everybody wants yep. something, okay? Remember that everybody wants something. It doesn't have to be bad. They may want encouragement. They want, may want advice. They want counsel. But everybody wants something, okay? And so... Uh, he he said, Bill, we both know, let's get past it. Everybody wants something. He said, what do you want from me? And I said, I want from you the freedom to call you maybe twice a year. I won't bother you. But if I ever hit any real tough times, I want to call you and see if you could give me some insight. He said, fair enough. We shook hands and became great friends after that. But I, he needed me for the spiritual mm -hmm. side. I needed him for the leadership. When you lead higher level leaders, uh, they're not easily led. I mean, they, they, they got options. They don't, they, they don't have to get on your team. Right. They got their own team, their own agenda, their own calendar. Uh, they got, you know, they got to lead other people themselves. And their question is going to be, why do I need to give you space? I mean, I've already got a full plate. Now, why do I need to give you space? And I think the way that you lead those kind of people is that you got to bring something of value to them, yeah. a cause or a, 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 an option or a project or something that gives them something they want to be a part of. Um, and I, when, I, when it comes to great leaders, some of the things I learned, I don't call them for anything and everything. I, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't bug them every week. Can you do this? I, I only call them when I need them or when I think that maybe they need encouragement. Um, in fact, I'll tell you what's good, a good relationship with everyone. Uh, about three months back, I had a leader that was uh, a high corporation and he was going through real bad stuff. He was in all the new stuff. And I called him. I said, no, I'm not going to be able to get into him. I know when I called, his assistant said, Bill, he's not taking any calls from the media or anybody else. And I thought, I know. She said, but he said, if you call to put you through, mm -hmm. he's got you and one of his friends and you on the list. Now, the guy knows thousands of people. He said, but if you call, he'll take the call. And, um, and that's, you know, that, that, that meant the world to me, but that's because you don't call them for everything. That's right. Um, if you use them, all the time, uh, even in your church. If you got a church and you're, you're using your highest level leaders all the time for every little project, you'll burn them out 
or you'll bore them. You know, they may do it, but they say, give me a challenge. They'll follow <laughs> me when it's something big. Um, they also have to respect you. You know, they, they gotta, they're not going to trust you unless they respect you. And um, a lot of that is, like I said, one is being honest. Don't give me any BS or don't give me any flattery. Uh, and then one of the big things is when I say be yourself, Roger Ailes wrote a book, one of the best books I've ever read. I could recommend this one, Mike, all day. Um, it was called You Are the Message. You Are the Message by Roger Ailes. And uh, he'd been the head of Fox Network at one time. And he was known for uh, just, just being able to look at somebody and say, tweak this, tweak this, tweak this, and you can win. He helped Ronald Reagan become president. Yeah. He could pick number one shows like friends he picked that he could pick these number one shows just just you know when nobody else could see it he said that's gonna be a hit and um he's got a whole book wrote on you are the message he's talking about just being you and how to be you how to how to play to your strength learn from others but stay in your skin and um and when you do that that kind of authenticity and transparency connects with with high level leaders have you ever met a leader or would you say it's possible for leaders to lead without going through tough times? Have, has every leader you met in some form or fashion endured some type of adversity? And yes. if so, how in the world do they make it in through the adversity you walk through? How have you made it? How have yeah. you come out on the other side of that? Yeah. I think the, the, the secret is every leader I know, you're, you're right on that, every leader I know has gone through something. It may not be the same things we've been through, but they've gone through some things. Some people have a, uh, they have a, a capacity to handle pressure more than others. Uh, their threshold is just not the same. Uh, and, you know, there's some people that, uh, and, and Ike, by the way, was one that kind of helped me with that. One time Ike had a, a staff member that had taken his life and, I think his father had taken his life too. And, and I could call me and say, Bill, can you fill in for me and preach somewhere? Because I've got to go to be with this family. And so I went there and the conversation Ike and I had about that was, I said, Ike, I just can't understand that. You know, the guys at the prime of his life and all this stuff here. And Ike said this to me, he said, Bill, uh, not everybody has the same pain threshold. Mm. He said, mm. some people, so he said, and he mentioned me, he said, you and many people I know, you're just stubborn enough that a lot of pressure comes and you just burrow through. You don't know it the other way. He said, but some people come and it's just more than they can bear. And he said, while you may not comprehend it, that's not the way they're wired. And I, and I, I began to learn through the years he's right. Yeah. Um, but I think the key, the way you stay through it is you got to have a mission that matters. You, you got to know what your mission is. And then you got to say, I'm willing to, to battle on that hill and go after that mission, no matter what. I mean, not everything, but the things that are important to me, I'm willing to die on some of those hills. You know, I don't have a lot of priorities and a lot of mountains I want to go, but there's four or five that those are things you want to do. And I think you just, if you stick through it, a lot of people quit when the storm comes. Mm. There's a lesson I have about that. that it's, interesting. it's kind of this. It's a, in fact, I'll give you a drawing and show you. You'll see how good I am at drawing, Mike. Kind of like if, if you took a mountain and you were on top, never make a decision when you're down in the valley. Mm. Don't make big decisions in the valley. If you're in the valley, all you see around you are mountains. And so you want to wait till you're on top of the mountain where you can see clearly. And so when there's pressure, don't make decisions under pressure. Don't make them when, when you know, adversity is there. If you want to quit, wait till everything's good. That's why I quit when I, when I, when I left Cascade or, or, or retired. I always, my only goal was I'm going to leave when it's on top. Yep. It was the very best. I want to do what, what many haven't done, but what I want to do for my personal goal, I don't want to leave in a valley. I want to leave when I'm on the mountaintop. And, and I feel like that if a lot of people would make that their, their choices, they'd probably stick through some adversity because when they got back on the mountain, they'd say, I'll stay. So I, I think a lot of it is just you know, how, how willing you are to pay the price to get to that goal. You know, and I, and I love that you made that transition into where you're at now doing Bill Purvis leadership and BP leadership and all the things you're doing through that. Yeah. You you were at Cascade Hills a long time. And when people think of Cascade Hills, they yeah. think of Bill and Debbie Purvis. That's just right. what they think of. How did you make the choice? Number one, it's time. 
Number two, I'm going to hand that baton off at a full sprint. Yeah. Was that hard for you? Was that something you really struggled with? Or did you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt? I know it's time to make that transition. It was, uh, it, it really was one of those things that God had to, he has this way of doing it with me. He puts me on my back, you know, mm. and gets my attention. Um, and what he did for me was I knew that the time would come and I wanted to be pretty much prepared. I didn't want to overly manage it and plan it myself. I wanted God to bring it. I had actually interviewed two mega church pastors and brought them in. I didn't tell anybody. I just had them speak and got them to know the people. And I thought down the road, if they connect, they might be great feelings. The, uh, it, it just, I didn't feel it though. And I don't think they did either. When the last one was walking out of my office, my middle son had come to work for me about three years earlier. Brent did a fabulous job. Came in and got us out of $5 million worth of debt, changed. I mean, he became like the staff administrator. And when the last one walked out of my office, that last pastor candidate, Brent looked at me and said, Dad, I want to tell you something I've never told you. I said, what's that? He said, I believe God wants me to mm. step in behind you. And I said, what? He said, God called me to pastor. I know that. He said, I hadn't told you for three years. I've been learning all I can. I've been trying to say no to God. I've been trying to figure out not to. He said, but I just know I'm supposed to. And I said, what makes you think that? He said, one is he told me about how he felt called. But then he said, those guys, as good as they are, they will never love these people like I will. I was raised up with them. And he said, Dad, I love these people. I see potential. I, I know that. So I said to him, well, then you need to go on and, you know, and, and, and learn. He went on seminary after that, came back, but he wound up when he stepped in and I told him, I said, I can't confirm it. We'll just see where it goes. He stepped in to preach. People loved him. And over a while he began to preach more and then he began to be seen more. They began to like it so much. It was refreshing to hear him. And the time came, he and I were wondering when the right time was. And I happened to be in Orlando, Florida and, for the first time, he's crazy. I never had a health problem on that, but I had a, uh, a, a seizure and um, and just had to be taken by ambulance. First time I ever took the ambulance ride, but but wound up in the hospital, stayed there for a week, they did all the tests, couldn't find anything wrong other than they said he's just so busy, he's so mm -hmm. much stress. And I'm laying in that room and say, okay, I think God's telling me it's time. So when I came back out of the hospital, I sat down and said, folks, I'd love to stay and have these plans written out. There's no better way to say it than I love you, have loved you 36 years. You've taken risks and traveled with me on journeys that, that I hope have been rewarding, but today's my day. And I handed Brent the baton and said, it's all yours. And they stood up and applauded and loved it and celebrated. They loved me. They loved him. And he's actually, until this COVID thing hit, we were growing faster than we ever have grown in our history. Oh, I mean, we were blowing it up. It's still doing great. But he, he, had, to, he had the ground running. I started to say, man, I should have left five <laughs> years ago. But that's... That, that, that's been a, passing it to him has been wonderful for me though. Watching, watching the people get renewed energy and vision. It's been, it's been great. How, how does it feel as a dad to sit there? You pass the baton to another pastor, but that pastor happens to be your son. Yeah. Here you grow up without a dad that told you he loved you and believed in you. And one of your sons now is doing great things. How does that feel as a dad? There, it's it, there, two things. One is there's the side where as a father, you just say, I am so proud of you. It's like you do with your boy. I mean, you, did, you got an awesome, by the way, your son helped us with a lot of our media stuff. He, he had more good ideas. Thank and you. so we wouldn't be where we were without him. So thank you. But, but you know how you feel. You feel like, man, I, you know, my, that's my boy. You just, mm. just want to, you, you want to, be proud. You want them to win. I mean, you want your kids to win. You want them to do better than you. And so as a father, that's that's always my feeling. As a member, there's certain times that he's making decisions that I'll kind of scratch my head and say, would, would I do that? <laughs> I don't know. But you know what's crazy? He's been right on everyone. And he's more connected to this generation than I was. And, uh, and so uh, I, I'm learning what it's like to be a church member in some ways and say, I'm going to be the biggest prayer warrior from a pastor that I know. So, but it's been sweet watching that. It, as you now are in this new endeavor in this new season, what do you pray is the legacy that Bill Purvis leaves in leadership, in your family, in Columbus, Georgia? What do you praise the legacy you're leaving? Yeah. 
my hope, and I hadn't thought much about it, but, but my hope would be that that if if I passed away or if I if I came by somebody's life, and then like you did, I felt better. I mean, mm. Bill touched my life, and I'm better. You know, I, I think when when people pass through your life, if if they made you better, those are the ones you want to stop and thank you. And try. Remember, I think it was John Wooden years ago that did that at the basketball and said, when you when you're going down the court and a guy passes you the ball and you shoot and you make it. He said, now I want you to turn around, and on your way back down the court, I want you to turn, and I want you to point to the guy that passed you the ball. And somebody said, Coach, what if they're not looking? He said, they'll always be looking. Well, <laughs> I, I, I want to be able to, to when it's over, when I see people, for them to point and say, that guy helped me. You know, he, he didn't hurt me. Maybe he gave me an opportunity. Maybe, think, maybe it made me think a little different or better, but, but he added value to my life. And uh, I couldn't ask for more than that. What a conversation with Bill. I hope you will now go and subscribe to BP Leadership. Be a part of his membership there and the leadership podcast that he puts out because it's so good to be a person that receives from great leaders like Bill Purvis. And I hope that you receive something today and I hope you will uh, go to his stuff so you'll make sure and keep growing in the future. Bill, thanks for being a part of this today. We are all better for our time with you. Well, if you enjoyed this episode today, I hope you will go and subscribe so you don't miss one of our great episodes with all the amazing guests we still have coming in 2021. We've got some great ones lined up, I'm telling you, and you are going to love them. So make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. In our next episode, 114, we're going to get sit down with Ethan Bryan. Ethan wrote a book called A Year of Playing Catch, where he drove across the country playing catch with leaders. And it is a fascinating journey. It's a fun one. And I hope you will not miss that episode or any of our other ones that are coming up. You're going to love Ethan. Well, thanks again for joining us today. And here's my prayer. I pray that you go make a difference in your space and your place and you live with your faith out in front. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.